for announcements. A lot of other things that are there in your e-bulletin. Take a look at it. I do want to pray. We um, have uh, Dr. Joy Ruff, who is a part of this fellowship and has been, uh, serves here. She is over um, helping with the Ukraine relief and, and, and medical needs that are there. She left with the team. Can't fill in the details, okay? Uh, we'll fill those in after she gets back. Uh, but we want to pray for her and the team that is there, Joel, who's here with the kids. And uh, so really looking forward to what she has to say. So we want to pray for her, uh, grateful that she's able to go. And then also we want to just continue to pray for what's going on over there. Sometimes as something happens over time, we forget to, to pray, to be lifting up the people of Ukraine. I had dinner with Wes Bentley on Friday night. Wes Bentley, a far-reaching ministry. Some of you uh, that have been here long enough, you're familiar with his ministry. He has ministry in four war fronts. In South Sudan, where I've been with him, Afghanistan, he was telling me that they just uh, extracted 500 uh, missionaries and their families out of Afghanistan uh, just recently. Um, he said we had to get them out or they'd be killed by the Taliban. Uh, there in Ukraine, he matter of fact, he just got back two days prior. I met with him from Ukraine. He's there helping the Calvary Chapel pastors, uh, helping with food uh, because they don't have food. And uh, children's hospital needs and stuff. So that's why we're grateful that Dr. Joy is there with them and, and um, wherever she's at and uh, helping and then others as well in West Bentley. Incredible ministry. Absolutely incredible. Uh, he talks to me, and it's just like, wow. Um, it, it just very special. He has, you know, guys that are there. They're very, very intelligent. Uh, been in the SEALs, special ops. Uh, been in the intelligence world, um, you know, that are there on staff with far-reaching ministry, and they're getting people out. And, and they're just, a, just amazed, even... I guess we can just blanket for a second. Even those in the government are coming and saying, how are you doing this? I say, well, it's all God. So be praying for Wes. You can look at his website, Far Reaching Ministry. Amazing man of God, special man in my life. Um, he's, he's talking about how even, you know, the Christians in Russia are so brokenhearted, you know, over what's going on and uh, helping as much as they can as well. So that's the world in which we live in. We want to pray and keep praying. And we want to pay attention to the things that are going on. Um, it's getting darker. I don't need to tell you that. But I will say this, that we have hope. Hang on to that hope. And then second of all, when there's darkness, the light gets brighter. God wants to use us in the days in which we're in. Where, wherever he has you planted, and the gifts that he's given to you. And, and so I, my desire is for the church to really wake up and say we are in the last days and we're going to be talking more about it as we go through Daniel's study and as you are growing in the wisdom of God we'll, we'll, we'll be part of the lesson today that you're going to be used of the Lord okay so we want to in these last days take the words of Jesus that says you are to be watching you are to be wise and you are to be the faithful servant that's looking for the master's return. That is a commandment that is given to us. And what really breaks my heart is I have pastors that call. I get people that say, our church will not talk about the last days. Our church doesn't believe in the rapture of the church. They say there is no rapture of the church. 
It's not important for us to know about the return of the Lord or, or any of those things. And, and that's not scripture. We are headed quickly towards the return of the Lord, I believe. I don't know when he's going to come back. But we see the scriptures talk about these very things. When we get to chapter 7, we're going to be looking at those end-time kingdoms that will be standing before the fourth beast. And I'll tell you what, it's absolutely amazing, Daniel writing these things 2,500 years ago, and what the scripture speaks about, and as we see the birth pangs, and as we see the upheaval, as what's going on in Israel, things are going to start heating up in Israel. Um, I believe that we're going to see, already started seeing it, because Israel is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. And we want to be wise, and we want to be discerning, and we want to grow in the Word of God, because, as we're going to talk about today, you are going to be summons. You're going to be summons by people in the world to come out to interpret the handwriting on the wall. And as you have the knowledge of Scripture, as you're growing in the Word of God, and it's just not at the end times. It's giving people hope and giving them the truth of God's Word and comfort because this world is just the wisdom of the world is so messed up. And we have truth to give to them in light and the love of Jesus Christ. Our weapon is not carnal, but spiritual. Amen? So I want to encourage you, keep coming. Keep looking to the Lord. God wants to use you. He wants to use this church. He is using this church. You know, um, a couple from Calvary Church uh, in Aurora, um, uh, Byron and Emily, they were on the ground just recently uh, helping refugees come out. And they came and talked to the young adults on Friday night. And what a great encouragement. I'm looking forward. I couldn't be there because I was talking with Wes Bentley on that. But there's so much ministry to do. And, and for you, particularly you who are young, but for all of us, because we're in different stages of life. We have responsibilities. And, um, but particularly you who are young, don't buy into the world to live for yourself. You live for him because he wants to use you. I believe he has me up here to be a testimony to you. If he can use somebody like me, he can use you. He really can. As you just say, Lord, I just yield to you and what you want to do, how you want to use me, here I am. Send me. Isaiah chapter 6. Who shall I send? Send me. And it may be across the street, maybe in your own household. Uh, it may be overseas. So, you know, just excited about you know, what the Lord wants us to do. And, and Wes, he's a soldier, you know. He's, he's a soldier. Um, never finished high school, he said. He went in special ops. His men that are with him are soldiers, being with the chaplains of the South Sudanese Army. Those guys are soldiers. Many of them have been killed. And, and Wes, you know, he just, um, he says that the harder the battle is, the harder we fight. We don't give up. Listen, whatever you're going through, don't give up. You fight for your spouse. You fight for your children. You fight for your family. You fight for your brethren. Don't give up. All right? And let's be here to encourage each other and love each other and grow in the Word of God together. And I think that we're going to see some amazing things that God wants to do. And you will have those divine appointments that God has lined up for you to use you in the days in which we're in. Be watching. Don't get sidetracked. Okay. This is not a time to go to sleep spiritually. 
Well, I think I gave half my teaching, so let's, let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. Really want to encourage you. This is 11 o'clock, so I can go as long as I want, so <laughs> I won't do that. Daniel chapter 5, you'll turn there, just where we left off, and let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would just be with joy as she's uh, there um, helping um, the Ukrainians and wherever she's at, and and just put a hedge of protection around the team and bring her home safely to Joel, to her family, her kids, and also to our church family. But Lord, just use her, sustain her, guide them. Lord, just um, just use them in a powerful way. And I thank you for Wes and, and his just encouragement to me and what he's doing in far-reaching ministry and and just the incredible ministry on different war fronts and yet he's a man that's so humble that loves you and has been called to this special calling and I pray that you would just be with him as they're extracting missionaries out of Afghanistan in a very dangerous place um, helping on the ground with Ukraine and the pastors there in South Sudan where it's been worn torn for so long so much death and destruction. And yet, Lord, there is hope in the midst of it. And when we look around the things that may be going on in our own personal lives or when we see what's going on in our nation and our world and we wonder, we don't understand. We want to fall back into things that we can't understand. That is, you're on the throne. It's all headed to something very glorious for us as Christians. And that is the blessed hope where you're going to come for your church. And then we're going to come with you to establish the kingdom. And I pray that we would keep our eyes on you and that this morning that we would be encouraged that, Lord, that you desire to use us. And the spirit that was in Daniel seen and recognized is the same spirit that's in us. So bless this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we saw last time that, that as we entered into chapter 5, that about 20 years after the death of King Nebuchadnezzar, his grandson, Belshazzar, has now come to the throne. And as we read this chapter here, his name, Belshazzar, uh, you know, means Bel will protect the king. And, and on this night that we're reading about, we know that Bel, the pagan god of Babylon, will not protect the king and will not protect the Babylonian empire. The head of gold, Daniel chapter 2, is about ready to be replaced by the chest and arms of silver, the Medo-Persian empire. And keep in mind that, that it's getting close to the 70 years of captivity for the Jews to come to an end. And then Cyrus will make that decree in 536 B.C., that the Jews could go back and rebuild the temple. And as we read in chapter 5, you recall that Belshazzar's having this party. He's having it with a thousand of his lords. They are drinking, and the king ordered that the gold and silver vessels that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had brought from Jerusalem, from the temple there, nearly 70 years previously, that they would be brought out these vessels that the, the, they might drink from, them as the wine is flowing and the toasts are being offered to the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and those Babylonian gods that are false as we see that in that they are mocking the true and the living God. 
using the vessels that had been dedicated to the service of God in the temple of God. And they are now having this drunken party using those vessels to toast to the false gods that aren't even real. And you recall in verse 5 again as we read that there was the finger of God who wrote on the wall while they're having this party behind the king. And then verse 6 tells us that his countenance, the king's countenance, changed. He was greatly troubled. He, he had a, a look, I'm sure, of fear and terror. He probably turned very pale. And we also know that his hips were loosened. In other words, he had an accident right in front of everyone. Tells us his knees were knocking together. And I imagine that he doesn't even have the strength to stand up. And, and as the people are there, they saw this. They're astonished. And the king cries out for the wise men of Babylon to come out to interpret the handwriting. We know that Nebuchadnezzar would do that. And just as it was with Nebuchadnezzar, as we've gone through this book of Daniel and with Belshazzar, that those wise men of Babylon are no help to the king. They are not very wise. They're no help to Belshazzar on this night. And I want to remind you and I, and listen, this is important, that there's a difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom all around us. There's all kinds of voices around us trying to give us wisdom in every area of our lives. And worldly wisdom changes all the time. Matter of fact, I think that worldly wisdom is getting more bizarre than ever before. It is God's wisdom that is true. It is God's wisdom that doesn't change. And I want to remind you that Colossians chapter 2 tells us Don't be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And Colossians tells us that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And unfortunately, in some circles of the church, a lot of of, uh, worldly wisdom has come in and and adopting what culture says and, and trying to adapt to the culture. We have God's word to guide us. We have God's counsel that will stand. Daniel has already declared that God's word is certain and it is sure. And that's why it's so important that we know God's word, that we are to believe God's word, and to apply God's word in our lives. So King, they said, we can't help you. We can't interpret the handwriting on the wall. And let's pick it up at verse 11. We pick it up where we left off. And she would say to the king, there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father's light and understanding and wisdom, Wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians and astrologers, Chaldeans and soothsayers. And inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams and solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. And so here Daniel is about ready to be summoned to come out to interpret the handwriting on the wall. But the queen mother, this is not the wife of of the king here. This is probably uh, the widow of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, And we know that she says, hey, there's one that he's going to come out and he's going to help you. And notice in verse 12, he has an excellent spirit knowledge about him. Let's continue reading as he summons, as Daniel's brought out, verse 13, before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, 
Are you that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the spirit of God is in you, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and have make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. In verse 16, I have heard of you, second time that he said that that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. You can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation. You shall be clothed with purple and a golden, neck, a golden chain around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then Daniel, verse 17, as we read it, answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. This speaks to us as Christians, doesn't it? As Daniel is called out. And, and here is this king saying, I've heard of you. And I've heard you got an excellent spirit, a, a, a spirit of wisdom in you. And it speaks to me, and I know it speaks to you. Because at the workplace, with your family gatherings, with your friends or with others that are linked to you in your life, they can say that we know that you're that Christian. I know you and I've heard of you. And what is it that they see or what is it that they notice within us? And I know that there are going to be those that don't like us and come against us and come down on us because we are Christians. That's going to happen. But what do they see that is in us and coming forth from us? Are we ones that we go to work or around our families or friends that we're just judgmental and we're angry and we're crude and, and grumpy or whatever it might be? But I read this, and here is Daniel, been here for nearly 70 years. And here is this king saying, I, I know about you. And here's what's said about you. You have this excellent spirit within you. Here is this pagan king making, you know, mocking God and having this party and toasting to the gods and the vessels brought from Jerusalem. And he says, you have great wisdom. Wisdom is in you from God. When people, when they are troubled, and they will be, eventually the people that are linked to you in your life, that when their knees are knocking together and when their hearts are full of anxiety, and when they're troubled and confused and scared, I want people to see something of God's spirit and wisdom in me. And I'll tell you the truth on this. When they turn and say, he or she, they're a Christian. There's something different about them. They will summon you. They will come and talk to you. And they will come at that time that they need that wisdom for you to give it and to give truth and understanding. Because they sense something different. And God will use you in those divine appointments. It may be years that the people at work don't talk to you. Family members don't care about you. Make fun of you. But in that time, when they need to have answers, you have the answers for them. And I know that you're that Christian. And I've watched you over the weeks and over the months and over the years. And there's something different about you. The reality of Jesus being seen. They're not going to see perfection. No, not at all. But do they see that you care? Do they see that you have wisdom? That you have peace that passes understanding and a joy inexpressible? 
and they will come to you and they will summon you. And as we continue reading, Daniel has some things to say to the king. He says, O king, um, the most high God, again, verse 18, give Nebuchadnezzar your father and kingdom. God did in majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whoever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in the pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and he took his glory from him. In verse 21, then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. And they fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see nor hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. So Daniel doesn't hold back, does he? He's very honest here. And as he gives this indictment against the king, a couple things that you can jot down. Number one, he's telling the king that you have not learned from the past. You haven't learned from the past. You knew about your grandfather. He had absolute rule. He ruled over all people's nations, languages. He executed whomever he wished. He spared whoever he wished. And you knew this, Belshazzar. But the Most High God humbled him and drove him out into the fields like a beast until he came to know that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men. We saw Nebuchadnezzar's testimony in chapter 4, didn't we? You knew this, king, and yet you have not humbled your heart. Pride is such a terrible, terrible sin. It says that I don't need God. I'll live for myself. Lucifer fell and became Satan because he was full of pride. He said, I will sit on the throne. I will establish myself. I will be worshipped. Pride, the middle you know, letter is I. He had an I problem, and we can have an I problem. I'll live for myself. I'll do my own thing. I will sit upon my own throne. I'll take him off the throne, not the throne of my life. We know some, probably most of us. Maybe they grew up in a Christian home. They've heard the gospel. Or maybe it's somebody that you've witnessed to over the years. You told them the gospel, and they said, no, I won't humble myself. I'm going to live for myself. And it reminds me of our Matthew study recently. Remember Jesus said, unless you are converted and you become as a little child, you will no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying that you need to be childish. But what he is saying in that is that you need to humble yourself as a child. You come in childlike faith. Humble yourself as a little child. Jesus said you were to pick up, you know, to deny self, pick up our cross, and to follow after him. So you've heard and learned from, you haven't learned from the past. Therefore, number two, he is unable to interpret the present. So he hasn't learned from the past. Number two, he is unable to interpret the present. 
You're toasting to the false gods that cannot help you, and you are calling for the wise men of Babylon who cannot help you. You are fearful, you are confused, and you are anxious. Now, you can contrast the countenance of Belshazzar. Here he is, his knees are knocking, terror on his face. He's bankrupt. The problem with those who are committed to the world is they're not willing to seek the wisdom of God, and they are confused, and they are uncertain in what is happening. You contrast that with Daniel. Can you picture Daniel here? Here he is. He hasn't been in the public eye for over 20 years that we know of, but we know he kept praying. We're going to see that in the next chapter. We know that he was one that continued to minister. Here he is in his 80s, and he comes walking out, and he has a countenance. I can just picture one of peace and one of confidence and one of assurance, and he has boldness because he had trusted in God. He has God's wisdom. That is very evident. The spirit of God that is in him. And here is this man. He comes out. Contrast that with this this king that's just bankrupt. Full of fear. Can't even stand up. Because he can't interpret the handwriting on the wall. If any of us put our trust in the world. Then over time you will have the countenance of Belshazzar. More people today, listen, are confused than ever before. We know that to be true. They're confused, they're afraid, they're wondering what is going to happen because they haven't trusted God's word. What's going to happen to me? What's the, the meaning of life? What's all this all about? How can I really find purpose and fulfillment? And there are scores and scores of books and seminars and all of that, how you can be happy in life. Let me be your coach. Let me be your mentor. If you trust in the Lord, and I know the vast majority of us do, you can interpret the present. We have answers that we can give to others. Why is the world unraveling? Why is it at a boiling point? Why is there so much sorrow? Why are we seeing our country decline morally and spiritually? Why are people depressed and seem hopeless? We have the answers, don't we? And the answer is Jesus Christ and a life devoted to him. Belshazzar, he says, you didn't learn from the past. Therefore, you can't interpret the present. And then thirdly, for you who are jotting down some notes, you don't know what the future is in the number of your days. The most high God is the one that rules, and he holds every breath you take in his hands. Now, that's fearful for the unbeliever. It is comforting to us as believers. Paul the Apostle, when he was in Athens on Mars Hill, he would say to the philosophers that the true God gives to all life, breath, and all things, for in him we live and move and have our being. Remember it was told to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is going to be replaced by another. And Belshazzar has no idea what is going to be taking place this night. You have lifted yourself up against the God of heaven, the very one that holds every breath that you take in your his hand, and owns all of your ways, and you have not glorified him. So verse 24 tells us, then the finger of the hand was, uh, were sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the inscription that is written, mini, mini, tekel, you farson. After Daniel tells Bazazar to keep your gifts, I'll tell you what the, the inscription says, what the interpretation is. Let's read it in verse 26. That this is the interpretation of each word, meaning God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, verse 27, 
you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And in verse 28, prayer is, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. This is the interpretation of each word, many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. It was Moses that would write in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. There is a number of days that is determined for every single person. There's a number of days that is determined for every nation. That includes the United States. Because man's kingdom, Daniel chapter 2, and we will see it in in chapter 7, will come to an end, and God's kingdom is the kingdom that will last forever. It's appointed once for man to die, then the judgment. For every hundred people born, a hundred people die. And it is many for all of us. There is a time and a day when God's going to finish it. And David wrote in Psalm 39, Lord, make me to know my end. And there will come a day where there will be an end to each of us. We will close our eyes. We will take our last breath. Then the question becomes this, Tekel. You have been found weighed in the balances and found wanting. King, you have come up so short. You've been given so much, but you've done so little. And this is the day that you're going to be weighed on God's scales. You have refused to glorify the Most High God. And it is true for us. I pray that none of us that are here, if you're watching online or or listening later on the radio, I, I pray that none of us think that, well, I'm a good person, so I'll be okay. I'm just going to, you know, cruise in life, and my good outweighs my bad, and I'll be okay, and I'll make it to heaven. Or we think that people will make it to heaven if they had fame, if they had riches, if they were popular, they were a famous individual, whatever it might be. That's what the world says. That's what the world's thoughts are. And I'll be okay. I'll make it to heaven because I was a good person, an important person. Weighing themselves on the world's scales, on man's scales. But in God's economy, on his scales, every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all found wanting. We're all lightweights. And the law of God demands perfection. And the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As our lives are weighed in the balances... We all come up short, very short, according to the law of God. And I want to remind you that Galatians declares to us very clearly that the law of God is not to show us that we're righteous. It's to show us that we're sinners, we're guilty, we're lawbreakers. The law doesn't declare us righteous. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is you and me. We can't keep it. And that's why we need the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, the Son of God, And when we die, we will stand before God and we will be weighed in the balances. And none of us, none of us will measure up to God's perfect standard. For those who say, I'll take my chances, my good will outweigh my bad. That that just really horrifies me. Because you're going to be found guilty. And that's why Jesus came. That's what last week was all about as we remember the crucifixion and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why he came, the perfect one, the Son of God came to die for us, do the work as he cried out, it is finished, to make atonement for our sins, to take the penalty you and I deserve. 
that he is the only way that we can measure up in eternity and for eternity with God and through the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And as I think about this, this chapter, here is the finger of God writing on the wall. And I know that there's two other times that we have the finger of God writing. I bet you can remember them. Exodus chapter 34, remember? Moses cuts two tablets of stones, and there we read that the Lord said, I'll write on those tablets the commandment of God written on the tablets of stone with the hand and finger of God. The law condemns us. But there's one other place where we see the finger of God was writing, and that is John chapter 8. Jesus is there, he's teaching at the temple, and the religious leaders bring this woman throws her down in front of Jesus and said, we caught her in the very act of adultery. And the law of Moses says that she's to be stoned. What do you say? What do you say, teacher? And what did Jesus do? He stooped down. He began to write on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear them. They kept pressing him. The law says she's to be stoned. What sayest thou? And then he rose up and he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And those guys began to drop their rocks one by one and left as that woman is there with Jesus. And then he said to her, woman, were thy accusers? And she looked into the eyes of God himself. No one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And the only one that had a right to throw a rock didn't. Listen, if any of you are here and you're not saved or you're listening, the Bible declares knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Paul would write in Romans, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And the one who knew no sin became sin for you and for me that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you haven't given your heart to Jesus Christ, repent. It just means change direction. Quick, thinking the way you're thinking, go in the direction you're going, turn to Jesus and call out to him who died for you because of his love for you. He is your hope, and he gives us a living hope through his resurrection. Believing that he rose from the grave, a church won't save you. You can't save yourself. A pastor can't save you. Your parents who are Christians can't save you. God doesn't have grandchildren. Okay? It is you making the decision for Jesus Christ that I'm going to humble myself and come to Christ and ask for forgiveness of sin, for him to be the Lord of my life. Because as we are saved by grace through faith, it isn't continuing in sin. Should sin abound that grace, you know, should we continue in grace that uh, continue in sin that grace abounds? He's, Paul said, no, we're dead to that stuff. We identify with Christ. We reckon it to be true that 
that we live in a newness of life and that resurrected life. Live for him. Live for the Lord. Live in his grace and in his love. But for all those of us who are saved, I want to remind you there's another application for the believer. We will be weighed in the balances. Because all of us will stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, not to be condemned for our sin, not to be judged for sin. Jesus took that judgment for you and for me. But what we have done for Christ, whether good or bad, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So the question for me and the question for all of us is, what are you doing with your life? And I don't say this to be condemning in any way or manipulating, but really in honesty of your heart to go to the Lord and say, Lord, am I place, am I there where you want me to be? Doing what I know that you're calling me to do. Maybe the Lord's been putting something on your heart and you're just pushing it aside or making excuses. So caught up in the cares of life. It's easy to do that for any of us. You've been given so much. What are you going to do with it? And you might be thinking, well, it's raising my kids. That honors the Lord. I'm working harder to provide for my family. Guys, you do that. You be the priest of your homes. You take care of your family. And you take care of your kids. And you be that godly man, because that's where ministry begins. Maybe you're taking care of elderly parents. Maybe you just... This is what I have and the gifts that I have. But are you in a place? Are you desiring to please the Lord? To move forward in the things of the Lord? Because what you do for Christ and how you live for Christ, that's what's going to last. Here's the writing on the wall, Belshazzar. Meaning God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And in verse 28, Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The head of gold... Now it's going to be the chest and arms of silver. The Medo-Persian Empire is going to come to power. And on this night, Cyrus is leading three divisions of troops, one division on the south side of the city where the Euphrates River flowed out under the huge wall of Babylon, one division to the north side where the Euphrates River flowed into the city, and then further north of that, a large division where they're we're diverting the flow of the Euphrates River into a lowland, and it turned into a swamp. It dried up the Euphrates River. They walked right underneath the walls on both sides, and he took the city with really a battle not even ensuing. Matter of fact, I want to read to you very quickly from Isaiah chapter 44, the last two verses, 27, 28, and the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah prophesied about this very thing 200 years before it happened. Amazing prophecy. He even named Cyrus who took the city by name. And in Isaiah chapter 44, he who says to the deep, be dry, I will dry up your rivers. In other words, speaking very specifically how the river was dried up, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Cyrus is the one that a couple years after this would declare that the Jews could go back and rebuild the, the temple. And thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, to lose the armor of kings. That is, he took 
over the, the Babylonian empire to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. History tells us when they came in under the big walls, Babylon was double walled, that the inside walls, that the gates were open. They just walked in and they took the city. 200 years before it happened, very specific, that Isaiah writes what would take place. And as we read and continue here, as I get back to our text, we read that what happened that night in verse 29, that Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Belshazzar was killed that very night, just as Daniel said would happen, because God's word is what? Sure and certain. Always remember that. Always remember that. Listen, as we close here, God wants to use you in the day in which we're in. When you get summons to interpret the handwriting on the wall, to give truth to others. And as you're sensitive to his leading, you'll be amazed how he'll bring those divine appointments to you to use you. You keep growing, all right? Keep learning. Keep being open to the leading of the Lord. Amen? Okay, so Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this word given to us. And as we close here the morning and this service, I I thank you for all who have come through the services. And I just pray that, um, that right now, Um, Lord, that we would leave this place just thankful and rejoicing that you spoke to us. We thank you for your forgiveness, your grace, your love, your provision. Lord, we want to make our lives count. We want to be usable. We want to grow in your word. And may people see that excellent spirit in us because the, the same spirit in Daniel is in us, the Holy Spirit of God, to grow in wisdom to stand firm on God's word, to love others, to be used of you, to give a message of hope, the gospel, to give a message of truth to those who are wondering. And I do want to pray if there's anyone here or or maybe you're watching online or later on the radio that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ for salvation. He is your salvation. You cannot save yourself. A church won't save you. Listening to a Bible study won't save you, as good as it is. This Bible study, we are learning that it is faith in Jesus Christ. It's humbling yourself and repenting. It just means turn direction and turn to Jesus. He is your salvation who died on the cross for you to make atonement for your sins. And he rose again. As you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will you come to him? Because that's the invitation come. Call out to him sincerely. If you're not right with God, get right. Because your days are numbered. And you will stand before him. And you cannot stand in your own righteousness. It's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the invitation is for you to come and be forgiven. And you can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
believe you died on the cross for me and it is finished. That is that you did the work. Forgive me. I believe you're alive speaking to me. I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I do want to walk with you. I want to know you. And Lord, I thank you for this new beginning. And belonging now to a kingdom that will be established forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. And for all of us here, as we go out of this place, being light in the darkness, and Lord, strengthen us. And Lord, give us wisdom and direction in everything, every day. May we be encouraged as we leave. You desire to use us, even as Isaiah was asked, who shall I send? And you say, send me, Lord, to my kids, to my spouse, to my neighbors. Send me. Send me, Lord. Give me the opportunity. Open those doors. So, Lord, I thank you for today. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen.